I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm not even a fast follower. I'm more of a laggard when it comes to some of these new technologies. Like we're not going to be doing NFTs. We're not going to be doing like my goal is to grow the business. And that means pulling really, really big levers whenever possible. So I've got a relentless focus on site speed, on conversion rate, on skew breadth and like, you know, introducing new killer skews into the into the line, Um, talking relentlessly and listening really intently to our customers to make sure we're 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 building things that they want to buy and that solve their actual problems. All right, folks, episode 35, and boy, do we have a screamer. Don't let this one run away. Uh, You see, shoe puns, shoe puns, anybody, anybody? We have the president integrator, just the man with the plan over at Kuru Shoes, Sean McGinnis. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Robert. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah, likewise. We actually randomly, again, the Bird app making crazy connections. You had thrown out a random tweet of people could just jump on your calendar and I took yeah. you up on that. And I think we were supposed to talk for like 15 minutes and it ran almost into 45 minutes. And you're giving me this EOS stuff and all this stuff to think about, about me building a team. And you've been kind of in an executive leadership role for quite some time. And I was transitioning from kind of an IC role or individual contributor role into more of an yeah. executive managerial role. And uh, man, that, that was one of the best meetings I've ever had. So first of all, that was free, which was crazy. I would have paid you for all the stuff you gave to me. But two, it was just this kind of like this super bro connection or not bro connection. We don't have to be misogynistic, but this kind of this person to person connection where we just really uh, real recognize real. And so after that, I knew I had to have you on the show. And then you also, um, from the good of your heart, sent uh, one of our uh, sales folks um, who has a little bit of banged up from his hockey career. Um, yeah. some Kuru shoes and he, he can't take them off. I think he sleeps in them as well. I, I mean, he awesome. said they, they are the most comfy things and the cool thing, and I'll, I'll stop plugging, uh, your shoe company, but, uh, they look fantastic. They don't look yeah. like the kind of quote unquote, what you would think in terms of orthopedic or help helpful shoes that are, are built to really, uh, alleviate a lot of, um, ailments that you might have from um, your younger years, or if you are young, uh, ailments that you just kind of have from just the nature of the beast. So, um, anywho, I will stop rambling. I'm just a big super fan of yours, and uh, I'm so happy I'd have you on the show. Well, likewise, I'm gr- glad to be here. That um, office hours tweet just filled my calendar for probably five weeks straight. It was awesome. I loved it. And you were re- you were early. You were all over that man. So it was great to be able to get to know you and, and to use you as kind of a guinea pig. I think you might've been my first or second um, meeting there, but it's just been really valuable. You know, my tendency is to kind of take this kind of gruff old man, get off my lawn persona, generally speaking. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I put that out there in a way to kind of force myself to just be more open and transparent and, and available to these kind of random connection conversations. It's been so good to do. I'm, I mean, you're probably getting a lot of the same value out of hosting so many interesting people on the podcast, frankly, you know, it's the same, same purpose, but you get to repurpose the content and have business value from it. I get, I get to do it in a one-on-one basis, right? Oh, totally. Selfishly. That's exactly why I wanted that starter podcast where I can non creepily ask like really, really smart people in the space to like, just come on and jam with me. Like, absolutely. Yeah. It's, the, it's, it's cool. The, it's the number one networking hack. I love it. Um, so you guys are in, you're in Salt Lake, correct? Yes. That's, that's where our headquarters at. Yep. Yeah. But you're a Midwest boy. Yeah, I grew up in Chicago in the suburbs. Yeah, Yeah, all my my childhood was spent way out in the western suburbs of Chicago. I say Chicago, and then everyone that's from Chicago is like, you're not from Chicago. You know, it's like a prideful thing. It's like, no, no, I grew up in Elgin, a big suburb out in the 
uh, kind of the last ditch of civilization between Chicago and Des Moines, basically. Yep. You know? So it's funny you say that because I actually have the same story. I went to Indiana University and we'd have a lot of people come down from Chicago. Sure. And you ask somebody yeah. like, oh, where are you from? And they'll tell you Chicago. And then you get talking to them and like, well, you're actually from Schaumburg or something like that. <laughs> you're <laughs> like, from Joliet or from wherever. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you're two hours away, <laughs> dude. Come on. Give me a break. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you got to orient it where if you don't know who you're talking to, it's like, yeah, it's Chicago-ish, right? So A hundred percent. But that's exactly what they would say is like, we'd spend 20 minutes explaining where this small town is, like the suburb of this extension yeah. of Chicago versus just saying Chicago. So I love it. Yeah. How'd you get to Utah? Uh, I was recruited out here about six or seven years ago now. It's 2015. Gosh, time flies. Um, I was running marketing inside of a, a e-commerce business within Sears. Um, yep. So we sold appliance repair parts to people that were brave enough to try and do the repairs themselves, kind of the DIY community. Um, yep. Did nine figures online and eight figures in profit and ran the marketing okay. function for that business and was contacted by a really um, strong recruiting firm that's oddly enough based in Chicago. They were recruiting for a new marketing lead for a lead gen business out here in Salt Lake City called ClearLink. So ClearLink is, if you think of them as like a super affiliate business. The, okay. A lot of the big companies that um, are kind of home services oriented um Telephone companies, TV, internet, satellite, um, home security, uh, also some insurance stuff as well. But we used to build and, and host our own websites that uh, looked and felt like the brand's website. And then we would drive you into our call center that we owned and operated. We'd sign you up for those services. While we had you on the line, we would cross-sell you other services that weren't sort of in violation of our uh, rights and agreements with those big companies. So we represented AT&T and Verizon and Frontier Communications, all those big ones. Um, so led a big digital team there. Um, along the way, we we won uh, the mattress firm account as kind of a more pure digital agency. So I built a team of 30 or so people that uh, oh, wow. worked on the mattress firm account for a bit here in town. Um, and that's how I landed in Salt Lake. How cool. That's awesome. And then so how did you transition into your current gig? Yeah, when I was recruited at ClearLink, we were owned by some private equity folks. And the original plan was they were on the downward side of their investment cycle. And um, at least the thinking at the time was, hey, we're going to sell to another PE group. So six yep. months after I joined the firm, they actually sold to a strategic buyer. Um, yep. So it was far less interesting based on what I had originally sort of agreed to. Yep. But boy, did I love the work and I loved the team and I loved uh, everything about that job. So I stayed there and really stuck it out for about another two years or so. Um, very transparent conversations with the rest of senior leadership along the way. And ultimately, we decided that uh, we'd part ways. And I um, opened up kind of my thinking to whatever might be next. Interestingly enough, was introduced to our CEO here at Kuru at that time when I was leaving ClearLink. But I got an opportunity that looked too good to be true on paper and uh, went over to Knoxville for about, almost a year, um, kind of working on that. But then came back to Salt Lake, reopened up the conversation with our CEO. And here we are, almost, almost two and a half Close to three years later. So I joined in October of 2019 and um, it's been an incredible move. Great, great growth story and um, having a lot of fun. Yeah. Give us, give us a little bit of spiel about Kuru right now. Kind of uh, cause it is a really, when, when we talked about it, it was really, I, I hadn't known about it or basically known from it, from you, but yeah, give us a little bit of a background kind of like what you guys do, what you guys just stick. Yeah, so the business was founded in 2008. So we've been around for a long, long time. Um, yep. Direct to consumer, most of that time, the, the it was originally launched in a more traditional retail format, um, and the the 
the initial order from Asia was on its on the water when Lehman Brothers declared bankruptcy and all of the retailers pulled their orders. And so you got this young founder who's kind of staring at, you know, a mountain of inventory, a mountain relative to today is really next to nothing. Right. But he had it, that that book of inventory represented every dollar he'd ever saved or raised. He's like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, I don't know what. So it was almost a liquidation strategy. Originally, he wrote the original website in Drupal. Um, did it all himself. <laughs> Classic, you know, he had raised a little bit of money, uh, not a ton, and um, started selling, you know, uh, started buying AdWords on Yahoo way back in the day. I mean, this is super early, right? Um, here we are 13 years later. It was the, the initial plan was like, okay, I'm just going to get rid of this and we'll unwind the business. We'll try and figure out what we're going to do next. Um, the, the business kind of got um, catapulted on the back of a business plan win in 2006 that he actually won the grand prize at the University of Utah. So that $40,000 was kind of seed money that sent him off. And he did, did a bunch of research on how to, how to make shoes, how the, how the body works, how the biomechanics of the, the, the foot and the gate. Did a lot of patent research, honestly, to like was reading up on all these patents that a, a bunch of other folks that had come before had done. And his original kind of thesis was, what happens if I engineer directly into a shoe kind of the shapes and materials you typically buy in an aftermarket insert, right? Like why, if I'm buying a brand new pair of running shoes, do I have to go spend another 80 bucks to make them work for me? Right. And so he just thought, well, that's gotta be better. <laughs> uh, he didn't set out to solve for foot pain problem. Genuinely. It was just like, this is the way the body works. And I think if I build this thing in there, that it'll be a better shoe. Um, and it comes to find out when we, he started talking to lots and lots of customers, as you do in those early days, right? Yeah. They kept saying, oh my gosh, this thing is taking away my foot pain that I've been dealing with forever. Kind of like your coworker, right? I mean, yep. my foot was hurting in this way or that way or the other way. <clears throat> I put these things on and within a week or two, um, it's still to this day, we get that feedback almost every single day. And you know, if you go to the site and you read the consumer reviews on any one of the, the pairs of shoes, you'll get incredible feedback around this thing really changed my life. So here we are 13, 14 years later, um, growing really rapidly, direct to consumer only. Um, just, you know, thrilled to kind of continue that growth story and figure out what's next for the brand. And um, so there we are. Yeah, I love that. But you forgot one little uh, aspect of it, or one little vector. They look awesome. So yeah. how did he get the design? Well, because there's there's been a lot of people out there that have kind of not solved for as well as you guys have, but you know yeah. what I mean? They've, they've, they've really taken a utilitarian bent of like, oh, you're, you're just going to get what you get, what it looks like, because it's accomplishing the job of, again, alleviating pain or et cetera, et cetera, yep. kind of what you guys are doing. But you guys are kind of in the best of both worlds where there's no way that you're going to look at this shoe and think it's therapeutic. Like, they look awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, so I'm so glad that you say that. came in. Yeah, I'm really glad you say that um, because for uh, I'll, I'll get to the design angle in a second. I think we've evolved the design language of the shoes quite a bit over time. And oh, there's okay. still a big debate in, in house around, um, you know, should we make them more unique and look and feel like a Kuru or should we just make them, you know, uh, look and feel awesome within that specific category? Because um, we do have shoes across a wide variety of different styles. I mean, we've got two or three or four major kind of sneaker types. We've got a handful of different types of sandals. And one of the big questions is like, should we make it, should we kind of survey the landscape and see what the best selling, let's use a light duty hiker as an example. If we're going to go yep. build a hiking shoe, should it look and feel like what what's best in class? What's the best selling stuff now? Or should we 
make it something that, that the design language and the design red thread carries all the way through so that you know it's a crew. I mean, I'll give uh, the best example of that is something like Allbirds, right? You, you know a yeah. pair of Allbirds shoes the minute you look at yeah. them because every single pair of them looks and feels like an Allbirds. It's got a brand identity that's really coherent and very consistently applied throughout the product line. And we're still evolving that. But back to the point that you made, I've, you know, if I were to define the category that we live in, I would say we are stylish shoes for foot pain. And the way I describe yeah. that is a Venn diagram, right? Like typically stylish shoes are the things that cause foot pain and typically foot pain oriented <laughs> shoes don't look very stylish. And when you overlap that Venn diagram in that middle, that's where I think kind of Kuru lives in that sliver of the best of both possible worlds. Now there, you can certainly look at our line and go, there's some not very stylish stuff in there. Like, and, and, and I would agree with you, but I do think as, as kind of a North star for what we're shooting for as a brand, to, to me, that's where it makes the most sense for us to kind of define that category that way. And so we're actually having a lot of debates internally between and among the marketing team of like, what's the best value proposition? How do we, how do we get everyone in the world to kind of know crew exists and what we stand for? Right. And that's the, my, my simplistic non brand mind goes right to stylish shoes for foot pain. Just label the category, inhabit it beautifully and consistently. And everything else will kind of come from that. But we're, we're having that big debate around like, do we focus on um, the, the things that being free from foot pain allows you to do more aspirational marketing, right? Looking at Maslow's hierarchy needs, like how do we get to the point where we're communicating what, what wearing Kuru's makes possible for those that were dealing with debilitating foot pain before they found us, right? How do you make it a human connection where there's emotion involved and um, people can really identify and see themselves in that in that marketing piece, right? So we're going to test everything, <laughs> and yep. we've got finally got the talent and the skin and the skill set and the uh, everything to kind of make those tests a reality. So it's just it's a question of sequencing and timing, but you'll be seeing some different things from us in the future for sure in the marketplace. How exciting. And the other thing yeah. that's really interesting about shoes as well, because I love how you put that almost the, the value generation is at the nexus of both of those, um, the, the aesthetic as well as the uh, utility of the shoe. But um, I'm guessing, too, you guys have some great retention numbers because notoriously footwear has has really strong retention. Right. Like that's why Nike, all these other people spend so much money in the youth, because it, it usually takes a, a, a really big Cambrian explosion or some sort of seismic shift to get somebody out of a shoe that they grew up with or a brand that they grew up with. Yeah, it's it's funny. We, we um, just completed a Jobs to be Done persona project where we talked to, you know, a couple hundred customers and really um, tried to dig in and understand, like, what, what is the various ways that people are using the shoes today? And there's definitely kind of two camps. There are people that... Um, view it as like a Band-Aid, right? Like I know I'm in foot pain right now or I know I'm going to be do something that's going to lead to foot pain. If I'm going to go to Disney and walk around all day or I'm going to travel and I'm going to be walking through an airport, I'm going to wear my Kurus because they help solve this problem for me, but it's not an everyday fix for them. And then there's this other group that like, you will pry these from my cold dead hands <laughs> and I will wear them all the time because they took this foot pain away from me and it's literally changed my life. And I want nothing but Kurus in my closet and anything else that I have to do when I'm not wearing Kurus, I'm kind of pissed off at the brand for not building that type of a shoe. Like if I'm in a bowling league, I want a pair of bowling uh, shoes with <laughs> Kurus. Like I, we've had people ask for squash shoes, golf shoes, yeah. steel-toed boots, um, cowboy boots, you name it. And they say, why can't you just make 
at one of everything with your technology in it? And the answer is like, well, you got to figure out what the market's going to bear and like what the next category for us to enter really should be. But um, that's the way that we think about most of those um, folks is there's definitely those two big camps. And we're, we're trying to understand, is it even possible to move people from one to the other? But sure. you're right. There's definitely a, I've, I've sort of joked with our CEO a long time ago. I feel like he's stumbled into, in some ways, it's just footwear is such a beautiful thing. I mean, name me a more expensive product that, that you wear on your, on your body anywhere every day that wears out as quickly as a pair of shoes. I mean, it's literally designed, uh, planned obsolescence, right? I mean, yep. they don't last forever. We all know they don't last forever. You've got to repl- rep- uh, replenish them eventually. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know of anything that I buy more frequently than shoes. Yeah, well, you're talking to the wrong guy. I just recently <laughs> into the sneaker market, and I have uh, I have been uh, crazily buying uh, collector pieces and all sorts of craziness. It's uh, awesome. Yeah, it, it's it's that's that's so cool. I didn't know the the whole Genesis story. That's really really cool. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Well, let's do one more question for the main segment, and then we'll jump into the value add segment. Um, what's awesome. the nicest thing someone's done for you? The nicest thing that someone's done for me. Oh my gosh. Um, I just, I, th- I think of that answer to that question in a way that um, it's, it's all about the network to me. I mean, there's, there's countless examples and stories, um, but building those really core friendships in a professional setting, um, I think are just invaluable to me personally. And so I've kept a number of really, really strong friendships um, from all, all of the places that I've been, I feel like I'm for the longest time, I, I've almost felt like a hired gun. You know, I went yeah, from yeah. a 15 year career at Thomson Reuters to Sears to all these big and small companies across the kind of gamut, trying to figure out where I fit best as a chess piece, I guess. Yep. Um, and the, the, the friendships and the network that I built um, in part, cause you've got to put the time in and, and keep those connections alive and yep. ask what you can do for other folks. And, Whenever people reciprocate that or when they share that they've had success in their career, like that's the part that's most meaningful to me is um, the time and effort. I, I view that as my my core responsibility. My job is to develop our people so they're ready to take the next step in their career. Hopefully that's with me. Hopefully there's a room and we're, our growth pathway means that there's an opportunity to promote folks. Um, it doesn't always work out that way, but that's my objective. And I want to treat every single person on our team in that way. And staying in touch with folks and watching their career kind of um, flourish and bloom and, and grow to the next level, even when it's not on my team, it's just so rewarding. That's my, that's the thing that uh, I love hearing that kind of news and staying connected with folks is what makes that possible. I love that. And I think that's one of the uh, more, um, when you have a really awesome boss, there is that really cool connection of like, if our priorities diverge, that's fine. Like then you should move on or what have you. But at the same time, like both people want everybody to do well. Right. And yeah. you had like the vindictive boss or stuff like that. It got weird, but it's just like, Hey, if you have different priorities or whatever, that's fine. You know, the, the, they're diverging. There's no problem there. And I want you to do well and I'll help you on your next steps and let's right. do that. And that's, that's definitely the, uh, the vibe that I got from you on the call. And, um, speaking of that, let's jump into the value add. So um, we talked about kind of why you took the gig at Kuru, but tell me some of the kind of the best parts and hardest parts when you transition, because you, you transitioned from ultimately, uh, um, you said kind of application or not applications, um, appliances kind of stuff into, mm-hmm. into footwear, which is 
totally different headspace. So tell me some of the, the best parts and some of the hardest parts that have you kind of gone through there. Well, I'd say the best part has been building the team. Um, I really am pretty passionate about hiring folks and my network here in Salt Lake because of that prior experience is pretty deep and rich. And so um, for the longest time, I kind of had these devious plans. You know, I walk into the, the business <laughs> in 2019 and um, it was a little bit of a turnaround time. And, and uh, when I joined the firm in 19 and we've seen really tremendous growth the last two years. So it's been a, it's been really rewarding to um, be able to hire those top performers. I mean, I'll give you two, two really good examples. When I first posted our first copywriter role, I approached a senior copywriter that was still at my old place. And she had just been promoted to a managing editor. So she's just now getting the opportunity to lead people and figured out if that was a fit for her. So she said, no, at that time, I hired an incredible copywriter who's a former journalist. She's awesome as well. And then a year and a half later, we hired that second person because the head of growth that I hired had the exact same thought I did, which was, oh, we need this person on the team. Like she's perfect. Former ballerina, like understands foot pain in an incredibly detailed way. You know, both her parents have plantar fasciitis. Like she's a perfect fit for us and culturally an incredible fit. Same yeah. thing uh, I had originally planned and, and um, started kind of, you know, uh, wooing a, a head of paid channels. And she, similar story, just wasn't quite ready to make the move. And again, two years later, he was able to bring her over as well. So here, I think I'm the one who's doing the recruiting and it looks like my head of growth is just better at it than I am. But building that team has been amazing. I'd say the biggest challenge, it's both a challenge and it's very rewarding. I almost tweeted something today. <laughs> Every Wednesday at one o'clock, we have our inventory meeting and we're talking about planning inventory and what purchase orders we're going to make and what, what SKUs we need. And that has been both rewarding, but also it's challenging, man. I got to tell you, it is dude, getting inventory, right. is so hard. It's really, really, really difficult. Like what's the, and I kind of give my CEO a bunch of hard time for this, but he's been saying, Hey, we've got this, this big, hairy, audacious goal. And I want to have the fewest SKUs possible to hit that goal. And I'm like, we need something more concrete than that. That's not directionally something that's just going to confuse our product team and confuse our, our ops team. Like we need something that's a little more grounded. But it's just hard to nail it right. Like, you know, we, I, I wear a wide shoe and so I'm a big advocate for carrying wides because if you don't carry a wide, I'm not going to order from you. And so we've started launching some of our best selling shoes in wides. We had a, a handful, a smattering of other top performers available in wides. Just getting it all right. Like, what's the right number of colorways in any given uh, point? Like, I keep asking, like, what's the incremental value of a, a sixth colorway for this specific style. And until we really develop that uh, point of view, it's been a little bit of a challenge. We've, we've hired and really done a good job of building out. The, we've got a new demand planner who's just been excellent and like upping our game. It's been fun to watch. And yet I want to get to the, I want to get to the one yard line, like right now, right? We're probably at the 50 in terms of really understanding that. And you're going to make mistakes along the way, but it's been so intellectually challenging and, and, and difficult to wrap my brain around in ways that, you know, uh, this is, uh, there are big implications when you're running an e-commerce brand around yeah. how, what, what that looks like. You don't want to be out of inventory and you certainly don't want to be over inventoried either. So there's a sweet spot you've got to operate within in order to continue to be successful as we've been the last two years. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm a super math guy and I love all these things and you start to get into the component combinatorials and all these things of like sizing because ultimately you're in an apparel business so you have sizing yeah. and on top of the sizing you have variations like you're talking about colorways and like oh my gosh man it breaks my brain like and then 
being able to your point as well to modulate the cash flow with the sales cycle, right? <laughs> so it's like you don't yep. want to have these warehouses full of inventory that you then have to like figure out. But you also don't yeah. want to be sitting on a ton of inventory where your cash is just getting ate up. And so you don't want to be out of stock. But then, and so finding that really uh, tight balance is just incredibly hard. And then again, you layer on the apparel side of it where you're sizing and variations yep. and colorways and like and oh style and what's what's style. where's the oh where's gosh. the world going in 12 months so we you know oh. we're ordering and building the right new things oh. and it's definitely complicated there's, and there's a lot. it's just yeah it's super super fascinating and i got buddies who are like size 15 and they're pissed off they're like why aren't you carrying size 15s it's like i you know it's money in it. <laughs> everything's <laughs> an, yeah everything is an implication right if we go do that it costs money it's it's uh it's really a challenge but it's so much fun i tell you yeah yeah that's it's funny i love how you put that the most it's so weird like that weird paradox like the most challenging thing is usually the most fulfilling um and so it's kind of that that uh unique coupling there um, let's dig a little bit into hiring. Do you have any fun hiring questions or how do you assess, uh, a culture fit? Cause I, I've recently gone on a big hiring spree and that's one thing that I've realized, like it is so important to make sure that this person is not only a culture fit, but also, um, in terms of the direct report. So whoever they're going to really report to and like, you know, really jam with the most, that there yeah. is some sort of chemistry there. It's almost it's almost like uh, uh, dating in a weird way, right? Where there, there yeah. needs to be a certain aspect of like the personalities work, the relationships work, the the expectation setting is is um, in the same kind of realm. Can you give me some color there? Yeah, I think the the, the first thing to me the, to a successful hire is really clearly defining the role. I mean, honestly, That's it's really so important to do it right. And to not forget things, but also not write a job description that's eight pages long. Like that's <laughs> some people in our business have that instinctive, like I'm going to grow granularly define every single specific task that you're going to. It's like, nah, like let's let's stick to the big themes and and get the you know let's get the twenty percent of the tasks that drive eighty percent of the outcomes. Right? It's a full on Pareto conversation from my perspective. So if once you've got that defined right. Um, then I think when the interviewing, it's the, 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 is where you kind of bleed out that culture component of like, well, is, is this going to be a fit or not? And we just focus a hundred percent of the effort there on our, on our corporate values. We've got five of them. We put them right in the job description. We, do, we not only have them listed, but we give a couple sentence description of like, this is what that means to us. And then we say at the end of the job description, if you're not a fit for these corporate values or these, these human values, you're not going to be good here. You could be the most talented media buyer in the world. And if we're hiring a media buyer and you just operate differently and you look at those things and you go, I don't want to, I don't want to work in a place like that. That's fine. Like it's not, it's just, it's, there's no harm, no foul. It's important that we make sure that we're kind of qualifying those things on the, on the, on the beginning stages, right? You don't want to invest in someone six months later, come to realize it's not a fit, right? Um, and the other thing that we do, well, that's, that's from a hiring perspective. My favorite question, uh, that I like to ask during an interview actually was, it came up recently a LinkedIn post from one of my former direct reports. Um, we've used this in the past and she used it in a different context, but the question is, uh, tell me about a time when you got feedback that you disagreed with, Ooh. what was the feedback and what did you do with it? Um, that. And it, what that tells me is it tells me an awful lot about how you deal with feedback. Um, and it also tells me an awful lot. I have this, um, it's probably, when I say it, there's going to be people that will be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you've got this. That's what an outdated view. 
But I believe that A players are constantly starving for feedback. They will push yep. you to give them feedback. They want to know yep. what else they could be doing to make your life easier, to drive the business forward. Um, and C players constantly avoid feedback and in fact will deflect when you try and give it to them because it's never their fault. It's always someone else's fault. It's always an excuse. It's always, well, there was this one time. And so I'm trying to ferret that out on the very front end of the process. Um, I've had a few <laughs> situations where you ask that question and you get an answer. You're like, nah, like I was pretty high on you until you gave me that answer. And this is just not going to work. Um, so that one in particular is, is definitely my favorite. We have a pretty thorough and thoughtful um, process that we go through. We've got um, really detailed questions, sometimes too many, but we're, we're trying to narrow those down on like yeah. really digging into the culture. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to both ferret out whether someone knows what they're doing on the skill side for the role than it is on culture. And it's uh, infinitely easier to train for those skills right than it is yep. to uh, get someone to change the way they think because yep. culture is all about like what what makes you tick you know um yep. and so that's what we spend almost i bet i bet 40 to four between 40 and 60 percent of our time in the interview process focused on culture fit and values fit i love that and that in my short short experience that has absolutely been the path for me i have kind of like a uh, a proxy question. It's it's more so about failure. But personally, I've found that people that have failed more, um, I'm more attuned to them than people that haven't failed, but are super successful or super talented. Yeah. Just because sure. I want people that I know that can handle failure, because for, quite frankly, if you're not failing, in my opinion, you're not taking enough risk. And so you yeah. want to be pushing that forward. And to your point, like, how do you deal with failure? Like, it's going to happen. Sometimes it's going to be really challenging. Sometimes it's not going to cut your way. Sometimes it's, uh, I think a big thing that can get conflated sometimes is, was it a great process, but just a bad outcome? Or you can yeah. have a bad process with a good outcome. And so it's like, if there's a great process behind it and it just didn't cut your way, you had a 70% chance of winning and you ended up in the 30 percentile, is what it is, man. That's fine. Let's keep running that process and that'll be fine. But right. when you have this terrible process and now you're just getting lucky and you're falling ass backwards in success and now you're conflating luck with talent and like, oh, I'm this big, big, big man on campus. And you're like, no, you're not. And like, and so I, I'm with you on that. You're I, in the I right found, place at the right time, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And like, it's, you're, you're not really talented and maybe you are talented, but there's going to be a ceiling to your talent because to your point, um, like when I was in sports, it wasn't when the coach was yelling at you. It was when the coach wasn't yelling at you because then, you yep. know, they gave up on you. Where like, this guy yeah. is not going to learn. He's not going to be great. And I'm going to use my efforts elsewhere. And that's the kind of people I, I think that's so well put. And um, there's a, a funny question that uh, one of my, our VP of biz dev uh, gave our HR manager, which is fantastic. Um, but they were basically saying if you were going on a flight with somebody and the flight got canceled or delayed, he calls it the airport question. Like, would you want to be stuck at the airport with this person or not? And I thought that was a really funny way to frame it where I was like, oh, yeah, that cuts to the, the core of it. But I, I love that. And I think that's really um, so essential to your point of being able to understand. It's almost in a weird way, like the malleability of that person. Like, are, are they able to come in and be, uh, you know, uh, 
synergize with the team. Sorry to use gross NBA terms kind of stuff, but like, are they going to be able to come in and be cohesive and be able to paddle in the same direction? Or are they going to be their own kind of, and quite frankly, those people that are talented that can't play, it's fine, but you need to keep them off prem and use them as contractors. Like you can still get utility out of them, but like you don't want to bring them into a team that's going to be cancerous. And it's just going to start like you, it it takes, I'm, I'm sure you've went to your fair share of parties. It just takes that one weirdo to come to the party and then ev- the whole vibe changes. You know what I mean? And you don't want to hire yeah. that person. You just don't. It's funny you mentioned failure. Like one of my favorite processes is the after action review, right? Like let's sit yep. down and actually talk about, let's debrief and just be super transparent and no yep. agenda. I'm not here to throw anyone under the bus. Let's identify everything that went well and everything that didn't go well. And then let's talk about how we can learn from both. Like it doesn't have to be, it's it's not all kind of a grind of just focusing on how do we always improve. It's let's also make sure that we're, we're baking those things that went well into our process on a go forward basis and keeping that as part of a, you know, our, our standard operating procedure, right? Um, those are so valuable. I and I, yep. in my experience, too many people just don't take the time to do it. You know, it's, it's probably a half a day's worth of work. It's an hour long or two hour long meeting with the team, really just kind of brain dumping and puking all over the paper. Like this is everything that, you know, this led to this and this specific situation led to this delay. And okay, let's capture all that stuff. And then I'm going to take the time to write up my thoughts around how this can go. And then I'm going to give it all over to everybody in draft mode and have you guys, you know, give tons and tons of feedback. We'll, We'll publish this thing when it's done and we'll share it out with the rest of the team. And like, there's a learning moment there, right? I love that. And kind of just to tidy that up a little bit too, I think one of the great things about that where you can even more so get more out of those postmortems is you can give people the chance to write about it beforehand. Mm -hmm. Because what I've found sometimes, like you kind of have a big gregarious personality. I'm kind of a big loud guy in the room and you can get these real kind of A types pounding the table where there's these introverts that have a lot to give but yeah. they want to be perfect when they answer. And so they need yep. to be in a room with nobody saying anything to them and being able to type it up to them. And so giving people different ways to uh, insert that feedback, whether it be written yep. on their own time or in, in play, like in, while they're doing that, I think can be really helpful as well. Because, so crucial. Uh, there's a lot of introverts that have a lot of great things to say, but um, the, the modern work environment, quote unquote, isn't great for an introvert to give feedback. They want to be in a yep. room. They want to be able to write about it. They want to think about it, do a couple drafts and then submit it. So I absolutely love that, man. That's, that's the path. Um, so one of the things we talked about, I want to get into is the EOS. That was something that I had never been exposed to until I talked to you. And we actually run our, so we have leadership meetings and we run our leadership meetings. Um, EOS doesn't really pertain to us so much because we're just kind of growing too fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the L10 is also something that that's how we run our meetings now. But can yeah. you give people kind of the the high level of what the EOS is and kind of uh, L10 meetings and just kind of give, give people some clarity there? Or not clarity, <clears throat> but just, you know, the cliff notes, if you will. Yeah, uh, EOS has been transformative for our business. Um, uh, EOS stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System. It's a system that's based on a book called Traction. Uh, There's a guy, Gino Wickman, who I uh, I believe the story is that he um, came in and started running a business that his dad had sort of started. It might have been on the real estate game. I might have some of these facts wrong, but he started to really document the processes and the things that he felt was important to to, to be able to run a business. And it's very typical in, I'm seeing more and more and more smaller businesses, especially in e-com, it's become kind of almost a, 
a thing that is, uh, I just got back from um, e-commerce fuel live a couple weeks ago, and there were dozens and dozens of firms there that probably run on EOS. Um, so you can self implement that business or there are paid implementers that we use a paid implementer that we stumbled into. Um, our CEO was introduced to him through one of his CEO networking things. And it's been the best uh, thing probably that we've ever done. We started using, you mentioned the level 10, the level 10 meeting is the way that they um, recommend that you run a leadership meeting or any team meeting for that matter. We're using level 10s across the entire business at this point, but we started as a leadership group and really sort of drank the Kool-Aid and ate the dog food first on our side. And we, in fact, we were using level 10 as an, a kind of an entry point into EOS and then started reading uh, the traction book. And then uh, we started training our managers. There's a uh, kind of a companion book called How to Be a Great Manager. Um, we started actually training to, to that and using that, we would go through a couple of chapters and everyone that was managing people in the business, we would get together and talk about it for a little bit. And ultimately about a year ago, five quarters or so ago, we hired the implementer. Um, so EOS, there's six kind of major components of the, the entire system. Um, it get everything from what are your, what's your mission and vision and your values, uh, we went through a whole process to kind of reconfirm we had our values originally, but honestly, we started from scratch and still landed on the same five core values. Um, it gives you different tools. Uh, you, you know, we, we talked about values in the hiring aspect. It, it also encourages you to use those values as you're evaluating and rewarding and promoting and compensating employees as well. Um, they call it the people analyzer. So there's a, a piece that's, that's part of that. But the level 10 meeting is effectively a 90 minute meeting and there's a very structured way that you, that you go through the level 10. The, the reason they call it a level 10 is at the end of the meeting, you actually run around the, the, the horn and you score the meeting. And you say, you know, was this a good use of our time? Yes or no on a scale of one to 10. And the goal is to get all 10s. And if you don't get all 10s, you get some sevens or an eights, the, then the question is, hey, what, what could we do differently to make sure that we get a 10 the next time, right? And so, the, the fascinating part to me about level 10 meetings, and every time I see people talking about how bad meetings are, I'm like, you guys clearly aren't using level 10s yep. because they're incredibly valuable to us. And I know that um, you know the way that most meetings are run, there's probably this uh, aligned perception that like meetings aren't super valuable. But a level 10 meeting, you spend the vast bulk of the meeting actually processing issues, identifying, they call it IDS, identify, discuss, and debate, and then solve that issue. And it, it's painful sometimes. <laughs> You've got to have a lot of bravery in the room. People need to be able to stand up and go, I think this is the most important issue that we're, is holding us back from performing as a team, as a leadership group, as a business. Let's really identify that issue. Go to the root cause of the issue. What is causing this problem? And then let's debate it like openly. And then let's come out the other side having solved it and making a decision. And then those decisions usually lead to a bunch of to-dos. Those to-dos get tracked in the same system. There are software applications that uh, people have built around this level 10 and EOS. We don't use any of those. We just use a Google sheet. Yep. Like it's very simple. Um, docs yeah, we're, we're reviewing yep. our rocks every every week. It's the, the meeting starts at the same time. There's a bunch of rules, right? The meeting starts at the same time. You start it on time. You end it on time. You spend the first five minutes getting um, asking for some good news, personal and business good news. Um, it's a very structured meeting, but at the end of that 90 minutes, you're using at least an hour to have IDS these issues. Like we're going to identify them. We're going to bait them like crazy. And we're going to come out arm in arm, knowing that the leadership team made this decision and, uh, the whole EOS system and structure, you know, every time we get together with our paid implementer and we leave, 
We, we, the word that has continually been used across every single person at the leadership table is alignment. We feel completely and totally aligned. There is no more, well, this team's off doing this and this team's off doing that. Like complete alignment on what everyone is working on and how that's going to drive us to greater success in the future. It can be a longer term thing that like, this is a big thing, but uh, it's just so valuable. And it gives us a common language. Um, and, and honestly, before I'd gotten there, there were a number of other systems that had been tried. <laughs> and this is the one that's absolutely added the most value and had it stuck. And it's, we, re, we use the system. We're going to do our um, all hands offsite talking about Q1 results with the whole business next Friday. And we'll spend the bulk of it basically reviewing the vision, the traction and the organizer about it. This is how the business is going. We'll talk about EOS for 80% of that time, probably. Yeah. What a, what, what, man, so well put. Go Google it or read the book or watch YouTube videos. There's so much on it, but you sent me down a rabbit hole. And quite frankly, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't do meetings that aren't L10s anymore. Like it, it, yeah. it just feels so archaic and such a waste of time. And it I'm is. I'm so glad you guys are getting value. That's awesome. Yeah. To hear, man. Yeah. It's absolutely transformative. Well, and it's really helpful too, because a lot of times, like the CEO is this visionary person, like our CEO, AJ, is like, I love him to death, but he's crazy and he wants to build the universe. And so putting yeah. some semblance of guardrails on that is so helpful because if not, he's going to just talk for the whole hour about how we're going to take over the world, which is fine. Yep. But at the same time, like, you know, you have the whole C-suite together. We need to make sure that we're getting value from, you know, it, it's not. Yep. And so uh, the, the the term alignment is so perfectly put there where I leave those meetings and everything is so aligned. And one thing, too, that we did that um, isn't uh, L10, but it is something out of a, a book I read called Blitzscaling, which is really helpful. So we're remote or some of us are remote and some of us are on prem. So we have three people on prem in Columbus, I'm remote. Um, there's a few people in Jerusalem that are remote. Um, even if you're on prem, try and get in different rooms because what can mm. happen is if you're in the same room as the other people, there's like a front seat, back seat conversation. Whereas if everybody is remote, even though they're not quote unquote remote, like they're on prem, it's really helped out the conversation as well. Cause we had kind of some like AJ Max and Brad who are all in the Columbus office would sit on one camera and there was yep. just a different conversation there. So that would be something that I would add to if you guys are remote or doing remote meetings, definitely use the L10 and everything. But also if you are remote, try and make sure everybody, if even one person's remote, try and split up the group. So everybody's um, kind of quote unquote on level footing. Cause again, you get some, some weird front seat, back seat stuff where people are kind of feel a little bit out of the conversation. I love it. How's a sensational, so sensational yeah. overview, Sean. Thank you so much. Okay. Sure. One last question and we'll get into the rapid fire. Um, how do you see the next two to three years of e-commerce unfolding? Well, for us in particular, um, I know we talked about this briefly before. So we're in the process of um, replatforming from our Magento instance into Shopify. So that's about a five-month project. Yep. Um, I'm super excited to get there. I think e-com in general is going to, you know, as you know, we've seen a two-year blip where the mix of e-commerce as a percentage of total retail spiked as a result of COVID, yep. right? So 2020 and 2021 were off the charts, not off the charts, but <laughs> yeah. dramatically increased and accelerated yeah. the quote unquote adoption of being willing to buy online. We had this nice steady growth curve as a percent of total retail. And now uh, as of Q1 this year, we're back on that line, right? So like we're, we're effectively, we had a two year hiatus where people couldn't go to the stores, weren't uncomfortable going to stores. 
And as a result, they shifted a greater percentage of their total spend into the online environment. Some of that yep. related to buy online, pick up in store, buy, you know, curbside delivery, the kind of omni-channel approach, um, depending on your capabilities. And um, we're back on kind of the trend line. And it's, it's interesting how those things get measured. I really cannot recommend enough some of the podcasts that are out there. Um, you know, Jason, Retail Geek Goldberg talks about some of the numbers from the Commerce Department about every quarter and always reinforces like, this is messy data. It's not super clean. There's different yep. ways that it gets measured and there's different ways that some some people put this activity in e-commerce and other people put it in somewhere yep. else. So it's a little bit inconsistent in how we talk about e-com. But I do think e-commerce in general, there's some interesting things. I'm, I'm kind of a, I, I'm not even a fast follower. I'm more of a laggard when it comes to some of these new technologies. Like we're not going to be doing NFTs. We're not going to be doing like I, my goal is to grow the business. And that means pulling really, really big levers whenever possible. So I've got a relentless focus on site speed, on conversion rate, on skew breadth and like, you know, introducing new killer skews into the into the line, um, talking relentlessly and listening really intently to our customers to make sure we're, we're, we're building things that they want to buy and that solve their actual problems. Um, those are the big things. We're, we're just going to continue to focus on getting better at that. Um, the other big question that we will eventually be faced with is, um, what are the points of distribution that ma that matter for us and make sense for us? Um, we're not on Amazon today. We have no intent to go to Amazon in the future. Uh, we're not in wholesale today. We have no intent to go wholesale brick and mortar, but there is a good chance that we will be in owned and operated brick and mortar retail, uh, that That's we will cool. own and operate sometime in the next two years, probably. So one of my rocks this quarter is to talk with everyone I can about that in terms of like the cost structure and what you can expect and what's the halo effect in the e-com in that DMA when you go launch a store, like understanding all the implications of going down that, that rabbit hole um, and, and what that might mean for us, you know, being a bootstrapped company, that's an expensive proposition, right? Unlike an all birds, we don't have a couple hundred million dollars we've raised to go and build 30 stores globally with, you know, within three or four years, I'm, sure, I'm not minimizing the level of effort that took because I'm sure it was a Herculean task for them. Tons and tons of respect for them as a brand. But they, you know, VC back to go and make that a thing. And we're not. We've chosen a different pathway. So we're going to have to be very thoughtful and deliberate about what that looks and feels like. Um, I know in my head what I wanted to do there for a while, but I realized recently that I had not gotten fully aligned with the rest of the senior leadership team. So this quarter, I'm going to get that alignment taken care of come out the other side again, back to EOS, right? We're going to be fully aligned on what this looks like, what it, where that fits in in our three-year plan and objective when it comes time for budgeting, when we need to start setting money aside, how much that needs to be, what we really want that store to look like if we decide to go down that pathway. So that's when I think about what the future of crew looks like. That's where my head goes is where can we start spending money outside of the traditional channels that have worked for us so that we can change the dynamics of the entire ecosystem for us yep. is that podcast sponsorships is it radio is it tv we're gonna we're gonna test our first catalog later this year oh, so we're going yeah. to try to do some direct mail work i've talked to a lot of folks in ecom and that direct mail is definitely working for them right now yeah so super interested in trying that and testing that out seeing if it works as well for us as it's worked for some of the other folks that i've talked to um but yeah i, I want to find ways i've kind of um joked with our CEO that my personal goal is like five years from now, I want every single American that when they experience foot pain, I want them to think of Dr. Scholl's and Kuru footwear. I love That's going to take an awful lot of money and an awful lot of messaging and all the right places to make that a reality. 
you know, think of Dr. Scholl's there in every single Walgreens yeah. and yeah. CVS and Walmart in the country and more. It's an incredible brand, right? What they've built. Um, but that's a different distribution strategy than the one that we're, we're, we're kind of barreling down. So we've got to find ways to make that happen. Up until that, up until now, we've often said, hey, we want to find people that are experiencing foot pain and kind of slide up alongside them as a brand right at the point that they have the greatest need and then kind of walk away for a little bit and know when, when to come back because they may have a different need and what have you. It's easy for us to identify that when you're self-identifying by typing magic words in the Google search box, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's easy to find you. Um, you know, if I've got a hockey injury and my foot's mangled and I need something that's comfortable, I'm going to run a, a search and Kuru can go, hey, have you heard of us? Like, that's very, we're really good at demand capture and we need to figure out how to get better at demand gen. Like, that's the kind of the upper funnel, bottom funnel. We're really, really, really good at that bottom part. We need to find a way to change the dynamic by getting better at the top. I love that. And the one thing too, I think in terms of the Dr. Scholl stuff, they do have a magnificent brand, um, but where you guys almost have a, a leg up or a foot up uh, is the uh, <laughs> Dr. Scholl's is additive. Like you can't consume that without a shoe, whereas you guys are foundational, right. where you can consume your whole product without anything, where like you can just go buy some Dr. Scholl's inserts and they're useless unless you have shoes to use with them, where you guys are the total package. So I think that, and then the lookbook stuff's interesting. Uh, yeah. I never think they work and I end up, they work on me. I don't know what it is. Like, uh, you know, that's why these people send out catalogs, right? I mean, yeah, you're OG they wouldn't do it if it didn't guy. work. That, that yeah. was the OG uh, marketing built, yep. where Sears sure built a whole... <clears throat> behemoth of a brand off of literally yep. a catalog people don't know that but uh thick as a, a telephone book and no one that's listening knows what a telephone book is, is either but i'm old <laughs> I enough know, to we're remember. dating ourselves but, <laughs> hey you know they'll they'll never know the the satisfaction of hanging up with somebody on the flip phone you know what i mean there there's just, just not the same touch and screen where you just had that that nice press the button together. it's not it's not that violence right you don't get the exactly the violent hang up um speaking of violence let's jump into the rapid fire are you ready to jump Shoot. on the hot seat yeah, okay. let's do it, man. All right. Overrated, underrated. Terry Bradshaw. Ugh, underrated. What? Absolutely underrated. Interesting. Oh, okay. had, was no one ever in the history of football threw a prettier deep ball than Terry Bradshaw. All right. All right. A bit of a homer pick, but that's what it was about. <laughs> um, finding the right pair of shoes. Overrated, underrated. Uh, underrated. It's so important to find the right pair. And whether that's just a style thing or a fit thing or a comfort thing, it's you use the word foundation. I couldn't agree more. It's everything in the body is interconnected. And even finding the right pair of shoes can just you know, elevate your game from a, just a level of confidence. Um, it all begins with your feet. I love that. I absolutely love that. Law school, overrated, underrated? Super overrated. I have tried to, I've tried to coach so many people out of going to law school. Um, we didn't talk about this, but I am a, a lawyer, um, I passed the bar in Pennsylvania back in 1994. Um, it, it, it taught me how to think for sure, but it's not the best pathway if you wind up going into business. It's, it's helpful, but it's very expensive and there are better ways. I love it. I love it. Uh, Zion National Park, overrated, underrated. Oh, I think it's appropriately rated because it is absolutely one of the most incredible places in the world. And I think everyone sees and appreciates that for what it is. It's a great answer. Yeah, I, I, I went there. I got to do the, the Narrows hike. It is one of the most magical places. I, I, I can't believe it was in the National Park until like the 90s or something, late 80s or something like that. It's crazy. So cool. That whole, All of Southern Utah is just, it's a whole nother landscape. It's beautiful. Uh, 
hundred percent with you. We did the whole kind of Southern down there with Bryce and all yeah. of that. And it, it's, yep. it is sensational. One of my favorite yeah. parts of the country. Um, Shopify overrated or underrated? I'll let you know in about five months. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as of today, I, 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 we think we made the right decision. I'm, I'm really, really hopeful that we did. We're very pleased with the work that's going on with our development agency. It's been, you know, we're three weeks in. It's been good so far. I have incredibly high hopes. Um, and uh, it could be a train wreck, but I don't think it will be. So I think it's, I think for us, it's going to be, one of those decisions you look back on and say, why didn't we do this like four years ago? Yeah. And totally for us, it was uh, the, the rationale that I had, to, the conversations that I had along the way with our, C our CEO was the big, the big holdout because he experienced a lot of PTSD to this day from when we migrated from Magento 1 to Magento 2. Yep. And so like the, the, the question that I asked him, I think that was the most thought provoking was like at some point in the, in the past, Magento was absolutely the right decision for this business and a lot of other business. Somewhere between then and now, Shopify became the default answer. When did that happen and why did it happen? And that got him really thinking, you know, whoa, it's a good question. When did it happen? And, what, and you know, uh, there's no doubt that if we were to build a, a business today from scratch and Magento wasn't part of the picture and we knew we could do the level of revenue we're at today, we would choose Shopify. 100%. I love it. Uh, NFTs, overrated or underrated? Overrated. Love it. Even I my 20 year old kid thinks they're overrated. Like this is uh, it's, I don't, I'm trying to figure out who believes that I think uh, the blockchain itself has some really interesting applications. I think the stuff we're using it for today is probably all overrated, but we'll see. I could be the old fogey just screaming, you know, Get shaking my, my fist lawn. at the moon, you know, <laughs> Get off yeah. of my lawn, you crazy kids. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you there too. I think that uh, <clears throat> NFTs are the, implications for art i think are terrible but like uh concert tickets would be interesting where you can only mark up the concert ticket by 3x or something like that like having some things there because I, I get really annoyed when people pervert the economics looking at you Ticketmaster, um where <laughs> you're, you start to uh you know it's not the market anywho that's a whole nother right. story um, yeah. eos overrated or underrated i think it's underrated i think it's catching on i think it's uh it's incredibly invaluable and i think anyone who's running a smaller business that has teammates involved. If you're, if you've got 10 or more employees, I would absolutely encourage everyone to take a look at it, regardless of how fast you're growing. It's, it's it. just, there's a ton of potential there. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a lot on there. Um, to be fair, we liked it a lot. We just use uh, OKRs instead now, yeah. um, but it is mm -hmm. very, very good. Um, but the L10 I think is applicable to everybody. It's, it's absolutely yeah. the path. Um, favorite meal and why? Favorite meal and why? Um, my wife makes an incredible um, butter chicken in the in the um, not the crock pot, but the the other thing that super the pressure cooker. Slip it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And my my fifteen year old asks for it probably every week. So it's only we play with the heat probably every single time about how spicy to make it and trying to figure out that just that right perfect blend of spices. But it's unbelievable. She she's an incredible cook and uh, I've just. The kids love it. It's like, it's the one thing everyone agrees on. And so I think that's, <laughs> a, that's playing on my, getting my three kids to agree when we're going out for dinner, like forget it. It's like a fool's yep. errand. Like yep. We're better off taking separate cars and eating at ne neighboring restaurants and then going somewhere after, like if we're going to a movie or whatever, just get, you cannot get them to agree. And I, and I was probably that way when I was a kid too. It's all sibling yeah. warfare and like, this is the way we treat each other, but gosh, it, there's never any qualms when the butter chicken 
start smelling throughout the house. It's awesome. Oh, I love it. Uh, favorite podcast. Oh my word. Um, it's a toss up. There's two favorites and they both have, uh, the all in podcast, um, oh, is a sure. big favorite of mine for sure. Yep. And the fifth column is another one. Um, it's kind of the, the three guys that are semi libertarian that comment on media coverage of yeah. politics and culture. Yeah. Um, been listening to them for a long, long time. They've been at it forever, it seems. But yeah, oh, cool. those are the I'll two that come that to mind. I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, conversations with Tyler, who's kind of a oh yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I just listened to his interview with Barry Weiss, where he was a guest yeah. actually yeah. Um, this morning. So it's just so so good. He's an interesting guy for sure. Uh, favorite place to travel to and why? Uh, probably Pittsburgh. I love going home. That's where I was born. All my extended family's there. Um, it's definitely not as glamorous as some international destinations, but as a city, it's just, I think it's, I think that's an underrated city dramatically. Yep. So, I would agree. um, and it's when you are going through the tunnel and you, and especially if it's nighttime and the yes. city's lit up, there's yes. nothing, nothing like downtown Pittsburgh. It is pretty cool. That was one thing that I was not, uh, my dad used to live in Pittsburgh and we were, I was still living in Indiana at the time. So we would just drive. Um, that yeah. is actually one of a little, uh, breathtaking moment. <laughs> the speed though killed me. You have to go like 20 miles an hour or so for like 50 miles, like within the, like, you're just like, dude, I'm on a highway. Let me drive, bro. That was, that's a little brutal. But when you the rumor up, that I'd heard awesome. was within, when they were recruiting players in at, um, at Pitt and some other places that they would always fly them in so that they arrived at night so they could bring them into the city yeah. through the squirrel cool. hill tunnel at night like that was yeah. like a deliberate strategic thoughtful choice yeah and I, if i remember my uh, trivia correctly i think it has more bridges per square mile yeah. than even venice like it's yeah. tons and tons and tons of bridges cool. everywhere it's really cool it's actually yeah an underrated city for sure um okay last question you'll make it through the rapid fire if you could have dinner with three people dead or alive fictional or non-fictional who would they be so you're at a four-person table you're sitting at the head. You get to invite three people. Who are you inviting? Oh my gosh, uh, three people. This is a tough one. I should have prepared better for this one. Um, <clears throat> hmm. I'd say Steve Jobs has to be on the list. Ooh, love that. It'd be super interesting to to pick his brain and 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 chat with him, get to know him. Um. Uh, probably. Milton Friedman. Ooh, okay. Um, old old school economist. Um, economist. I think he's yeah. just a fascinating character. Yep. Um, there's got to be a sports guy in there. I, I would say Jack Nicholas. I've just oh, okay. like he's just unbelievable. Guy. Yeah, mm. big. I love golf, and he's until Tiger came along. Obviously, he set the standard, and he's still really active and interesting. Very active on social media yep. on his Facebook platform. Seems like one of the most generous guys I've ever seen with that level of kind of um, excessive um, just, you know, success in his life. He's yeah. just such a gracious guy, it seems like. Yeah. That's the shark guy, right? The sharks. Uh, that's Greg Norman. Oh, Greg Norman. Ah, I'm yep. conflating. Uh, they just did a cool 30 for 30 on Greg Norman. I don't know if you've seen it. Called Shark. I have not seen that. I, yeah, yeah, I, it just I, came out. I saw one. I saw a different 30 for 30 promoted this morning. I can't wait to go see about a Penn State yeah. situation back in the day. I'm dying to go watch totally it. conflated Jack Nicholson. That's all right. Shame. You're clearly Shame. not a golfer. Shame. No, 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 I tried it once and there was, I figured you need money and time. And those are two things I didn't have. And I hate being bad at things. And so I was like, forget this, man. I'm out. 
I can understand that. Yeah, it's it's a fun sport. It's uh, I, it's the game I'll play forever. I mean, my just I played with my dad about a month ago. He's 81, 82 and you yeah. can just play the game forever, man. It's you're not you won't be as good as you were when you were 30, but you can still get it done, you know? And I'll tell you what, if I could go back and do it all over again and be a pro athlete, I would definitely be in golf. You go to the most beautiful places. You never play in inclement weather. It's uh, it's very pretty. I caddied for a yeah. couple summers, and um, there there ain't nothing wrong with country club life. It is beautiful, <laughs> man. It, it is. It's, you're on it's the most incredible. beautiful manicured courses. The, uh, you're yep. in nature. You're walking. It's, it's could be worse. Sean, you made it. Rapid fire. All right. How amazing. Um, tell people how they can get involved with Kuru. How can they follow you on Twitter? This time is yours, my friend. Yeah. So we're online at kurufootwear.com. K-U-R-U. Here's the uh, K-U-R-U footwear.com. Um, if you know anyone who's got foot pain, send them our way. We'll, we'll take good care of them. Uh, have a great um, returns policy. You know, try them before you buy them, that type of thing. 45 days to make sure that they're working for you. Um, our, our customer experience team is incredible. They take really good care of everybody, all of our customers. Um, you can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Just search for the name Sean McGinnis. Um, I'm around. I tend to dominate the search results. Those poor other guys named Sean McGinnis don't know what hit them, but there's a few of them. It's like I got a lacrosse coach, like that poor guy, like, geez, you know, um, but uh, uh, yeah, connect with me, shoot me a DM. My DMs are open on Twitter. Um, used to be really active on Twitter. It's funny, I, um, uh, a couple of you guys are really um, racing to try and keep the Twitter game going and grow the followership. Like I have 13,000 followers. I think 12,900 of them were earned about 10 years ago when I was super active on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how that actually gets measured or I don't really care much about it. But my DMs are open, connect with me there. Shoot me a, DM, uh, shoot me a note on LinkedIn, happy to connect. Um, and you know what? It's probably time when this comes out, I'll re-promote my office hours. And if you want to schedule a 30-minute meeting on, on yeah. Zoom with me, some I, every every weekday, I've got an hour open for a one 30-minute meeting. Um, so if you can grab one of those slots, there's there's always room for one uh, one per weekday. So I'll, I'll re-promote that soon. And um, if you want to connect with me, that's always a good place to do it there, too. Oh, I will be retweeting that like crazy. That was a transformative meeting, transformative meeting. You should charge people for this. John, you're the man. Thank you so much for all your knowledge, eloquent and thoughtful answers. And I can't believe you said Terry Bradshaw's underrated. I thought you <laughs> He has like all these accolades. He does, but no one thinks of him in the same, you know, when you talk about the greatest quarterbacks, he's almost never even enters the conversation to be in the top 10. That's a fair point. Think I'll give you that. You got People say Dan Marino more than him. And Dan Marino, Elway, that that's whole, there was a whole class of folks that barely won one, one or that's never even point. won one. And they all would, that's they all rate point. those guys above Terry. So that's, that's why. a fair point. That's a fair point. All right, folks, if you do want to get more involved with triple whale, we are at try triple or you can follow us on the Twitters. And then we have a fantastic newsletter that goes out every Tuesday, Thursday called whale mail. You can subscribe right on our Twitter profile at triple whale. Sean, you're the man. Thank you so much. If you're ever out in Austin, give me a shout. Really appreciate it. And we actually might make it out to Utah, not this year, but the next. We actually have a, a, a big cluster of triple whalers in Utah, come to think of it. So, Heck yeah, man. Um, Let's do it. And we actually just hired uh, uh, our director of product marketing out of Utah. Um, so he'll be Whoa. working remotely there, too. So yeah, so awesome. all the Utah love. And if you do Let's get do a it. chance, go to Zion National Park. It is absolutely, or just Southern Utah. It is it is an experience like none other. It is It is some of the... Outside of California, I think it's probably the prettiest part, one of the prettiest parts in the nation. It is, it is magnificent nature if you're into that kind of thing. 
Well, that's it, folks. That's 35 in the books. Thanks again, Sean. We'll see you soon. Hopefully, go Steelers. Yeah, you guys, you guys yeah, are kind of thanks, on the Robin. downswing, but you, you, you know, you've, you've won enough. Let, let some other people take some, <laughs> take some championships home for a little while. Um, that's it, folks. That's all we got, and we'll see everyone on the flip. <laughs>